Have you dreamed about opening a boutique since childhood? Maybe you have a store, but now you're ready to expand. Well, guess what? You're in exactly the place where you're meant to be. Welcome to the Boost Your Boutique Podcast, hosted by Emily Benson, retail boutique consultant, best-selling author, and a motivational speaker. In this podcast, you'll learn how to manage your boutique better, have balance in your life, and learn from experts who care. So whether you've been in the business for decades or you're just getting started, it's important to get help from someone who's been there and someone who's going to coach you along the way. So head over to BoostYourBoutique.com to learn more today. And now, here's Emily. Welcome to my guest, Arianne Braverman, to the podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself? There's a lot of people that are going to listen that are going to know exactly who you are because you're one of my coaches. I would love for you to just tell us about your business right now. Hi, I am Arianne Braverman. I am the owner of Arianne Schulbach. I have been in business four years this month, but before that, I have over 15 years, it's actually almost like 20 years now, of retail corporate experience. I was the jewelry buyer. Uh, jewelry and accessories buyer for Henry Bendel for over 15 years. And I started there actually as an intern when I graduated from FIT. So (laughs) when I left there, I knew that my retail life was not over, but knew that I didn't want to build another business unless it was my own. So it was always a dream to own my own boutique. And I didn't think it ever could happen. It didn't, wasn't right after I left Bendel's. It was maybe two years after I had done some consulting and then it just kind of (laughs) happened that I started my business. It's a jewelry and accessories boutique online, but it started off as doing pop-ups and sip and shops, but quickly evolved to being online. That's where I am right now, uh, four years in. (laughs) And one of the coaches for Boutique Training Academy, which has been fantastic and amazing for just in so many ways, it's been amazing. It's been amazing professionally, and it has been amazing personally for my business. And it's, I don't know, I just love coaching. I just love meeting all of the people that go through the programs and being part of the boutique world. The boutique world, which is so different than the retail world that we came from. And I constantly am finding myself seeing all these contrasts and I'm like, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing, just on a smaller scale and sometimes not even on a smaller scale. Some boutiques are mega and they're doing the numbers that a Bendel's one store would do easily, you know? So it's, it's really interesting because one of the things you and I talk a lot about is really bringing this professional standard, this retail industry standard to the boutique world. Has there been a place where you have seen the contrast or the like, whoa, I didn't realize this is how things were done in boutique world. And it's so different than how we did it in the retail world that stands out to you? Well, I think so. I mean, I say this a lot, like when we're coaching and I've talked to you a lot about this. So in retail world, in corporate world, you have somebody for every department. So you have somebody for operations, receiving, shipping, (laughs) marketing, um, you have a planner, and then you enter the boutique and you're the buyer and you enter the boutique world and it's just you. (laughs) And you're kind of like, ah. (laughs) So. (laughs) No support. um, 
so no support and it gets pretty lonely and kind of like you're one woman or one man show and you're kind of like oh wow so when I started my business I didn't really know too much about marketing I knew the planning part of it obviously because I was very involved in the planning part of Endels and buying obviously and you know yeah anybody can ship something but like you know the whole way you have to think about all these other little things like okay the product's coming in now you have to ticket it or like for me I was doing pop-ups how am I going to display it or how am I going to ticket it so that the customer doesn't have to ask me for a price all the time especially if you're doing like a big event you want it to be simple and easy. So you have to think about these little minute things that you had a team of people doing for you in corporate. And then all of a sudden it's you. And then I'm recruiting my husband to help or, you know, so it's just friends, family, everybody's helping. So it's, that was a huge contrast. And sometimes not knowing like where to even find that information, which you have set up an amazing, amazing host of resources and people that can help you point you in the right direction. But a couple of years ago, you know, when you're just starting, like, I felt like I had a little bit of a, an advantage because I kind of knew how to do it, but not totally, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And I think you bring up a great point with the planning aspect of it, because a huge thing that I see not happening is boutiques having a plan. And when I say plan, right. it's not just like, what's my daily plan? You know, it's what is your buying plan? In some circles, they would call it like an open to buy you know, I tend to just call it like, what's my buying plan? How much money do I have per department to spend this month so I can hit my revenue goal? Right. There is none of that in boutique land, unless you're working with like a company, like a management one or something. And they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like 400 and something dollars a month. You know, it's really interesting to me that most people just kind of buy off instinct, which I do think is a big part of being a merchant. But I also think having a buying plan, I mean, or have you been really implementing like analyzing your sales and then kind of buying off of that just so that you have, you do have a buying plan? For sure. More now than I was at the beginning, because at the beginning, you know, I didn't really know what, what my customer was going to respond to and how these pop-ups were going to work. But after getting like that first holiday under my belt, because I, I launched November 1st, getting that first holiday under my belt. The next year is kind of when I started kind of taking some of your courses and kind of really starting to figure out who my ideal customer was, starting to really to understand what my customer was really buying. Now that I'm online, which that I'm going to tell you in the last six months has been really more fine-tuned for me, just I think, you know, with quarantine, I was able to dig even deeper, you know, I started a new website I was forced to only do websites so which we had been talking about for a year about slowly transitioning just to that and now here I I was and I'm in this and I'm really looking at now I would say not even six months longer than that it's been since last holiday so it's almost a year that I've been looking at business and really looking at what's selling and really going back to okay who my ideal customer was. And by the way, my ideal customer is always being fine-tuned. Okay. So my ideal customer is me, but she changes. She changes her buying patterns based on what's happening, you know, in the world, what she's doing. For me, it's a little easier. It's jewelry and accessories. It's not clothing. So that's, that's a whole different animal. First of all, I'm looking at what prices are really selling. And that was a big lesson for me when I first started my business. Because four years ago, I started my business like, oh, this is like Bendel. I'm just going to buy everything. Just, you know, I'm just, gonna sell things that like I can sell any price point but when it came down to it the bundles you were selling things 
for $800. You right. know what your best selling bracelet was right. $118. Your Chanlu bracelets. I mean, yeah, right. you had a big sticker price shock, I'm sure, coming to this world because right. you're designer, Erickson Beeman, like all right. of the big guys that were super handmade, super expensive. And now here you are in boutique land figuring it out. So sorry, I just have to throw that in because I don't think people listen understand that henry bendel was a premium right. high-end store like right. uh, a berg or Fordman or right honestly even a little bit better than a bloomingdale's you know like much yeah. more higher end so that's the other thing is arianne was buying jewelry she was buying like up-and-coming designers from brooklyn who were like <laughs> you know making these beautiful new pieces and like changing the jewelry world and their pieces were Eight ninety five. But do you remember when I took six figure blueprint and I was asking you about finding lower price point? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because you like you weren't used to that. You were, right. you were coming from a really high end store where we there was a. I mean, you managed the whole Fifth Avenue store jewelry selection. That was <laughs> what you bought for, and so that Fifth Avenue customer was very different because they're coming either as an Upper East Side or Upper West Side New Yorker or down, I mean, sometimes from downtown too, right. but also you were getting the tourists who would come in right. who wanted that big spend that, oh my God, I got this in New York and I'm flying back to Europe or I'm flying back to Miami or something, you know? So right. customer right. profile now is totally different because you're in Westchester, which is still, listen, I mean, Westchester ladies will pay a good amount, but you're selling more, I wouldn't call it costume. What would you call it? Like you were doing more fine jewelry-ish, but I don't even know the right We were doing, yeah, it was fashion jewelry, but then, you know, we had this like designer fashion jewelry. So so that was the Erickson Beeman, the Tom Bins, the people that we found in Europe. So we did that, but then we had our, fashion jewelry or fashion accessories now I mean yes I'm selling fashion accessories but for me I think that I've kind of honed in on my customer as finding the must-have pieces for your jewelry box and yes they could be trendy but they don't have to be and a big thing that I do with my customers especially when I do a Facebook live is how are you going to wear it? How are you going to style it? How are you going to layer it into the pieces that you already have? So it's almost like your jewelry box becomes your toolbox of accessories. So in the past year, I would say, I have been going into my business, really seeing what price point selling, what am I doing the best with? And really trusting, like you said, a lot, a little bit of its intuition, but trusting my gut. So if I look at something and I even waver just a little bit, I don't buy it because that means to me, that's like a little, little, a little red flag that I'm not going to wear that. So if I'm not going to wear that, my customer's not going to wear that. I really have been kind of trying to drill into that ideal customer even deeper than I ever have. And I think going through your courses, you know, and coaching them, I think every time I coach a course, I think I get a little bit more fine-tuned, which has been amazing. So if I waver at all, I don't buy it. Perfect. I mean, what have you found out about your price point? Most of your stuff is under a hundred at this point, maybe Mm -hmm. 125, but is there a price point in there where you feel like I can sell anything for this price? Yes. It's that 30 to $50 price point. And when I have that, they don't buy one, they buy two to three. Oh, so, nice. okay. 
so really trying to focus in on that price point because it's a multiple sale. Interesting. And then when it's a multiple sale, have you dug into to the level of, is it multiple colors? Is it, an, is it a matching set? Is it an earring, a necklace and a bracelet? Looking yeah. at that analytics. Cause I feel like for jewelry, you could actually get pretty specific. You can. And that's where I'm, I'm kind of at now. So my best category is earrings and bracelets and then necklaces and then rings. So for me, what I'm noticing is that my customers kind of stick to a designer because I try to kind of, you know, I curate special designers. Um, you know, I try to do some emerging designers that you don't see everywhere. Some you do, but some you don't. And, and even if you do see them, I buy it differently than if they're in Nordstrom or in Neiman's or wherever, you know, that's a whole different conversation, but that's the thing about like, if somebody down the street has what you have, you're going to buy it differently and you're buying for your customer. So I'm starting to kind of look at it now. Sometimes I see an order and I'll see like that they'll stick to one designer. So for instance, I have a customer, she always buys one specific designer. Like anytime a new delivery comes in and she buys an order, she'll buy two or three pieces from that designer. Sometimes she'll go to a different one, but it's it's just funny. They start to, you start to see this pattern of what they're really buying. So I've been looking at that. So when I see my customers starting to buy designers, then I'm trying to give them more product knowledge on the designers that they're buying. And they seem to love that. Wow. I mean, do you think the next extension would be, okay, I'm going to go to market with this knowledge in hand and find parallel designers who maybe do something similar or have a similar flair, but a different style and move people over to different designers? Or are you kind of relying on the designer to like, hopefully always come out with new stuff so that you can keep supplying? I think it's a little bit of both because I think so, for instance, I've also learned, okay, so when anytime I bring in jewelry that has some sort of celestial vibe to it, like stars or moons, doesn't matter who I buy it from, it always sells. So maybe I'll buy it from Marlin, but then I'll buy it from Ty and I'll buy a little bit from AV Max. And it's just then that's when that customer who is a Marlin customer or is an AV Max customer or a Ty customer, she starts to, you see her start to break off and buy them. The other thing that I've been kind of tapping into a little bit with, jewelry and accessories is kind of hit and not that I want to be something for everyone because you can't but jewelry and accessories people buy gifts especially now coming into holiday or around graduation time I kind of start to think about teens and tweens and what they're liking and what they're buying um, because I have quite a bit of people that come to me I need a gift for a sweet 16 I need a, a gift for a confirmation or a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah and so I'm starting to buy you know and I have I have cousins that, you know, that are younger and they're like, oh my God, I love stud packs. And so I was like, oh, oh, okay. So I started like buying more stud packs and all of a sudden I have this whole new category of people buying stud packs. Stud packs. So are you doing like a a set of three on an earring card basically, or are you doing sets of five? Right now it's sets of two and sets of three. And what they're really loving right now, um, I started doing with AV Max, I was buying them singly. Uh, like just singles and she started doing a two pack and then she started making it so we can customize it so I'm customizing them for my customer like what I think she'll like you know so stars and moons or you know like I can pick lightning bolts and stars I've done a couple five packs but I'm going to tell you that the three the twos and threes have done the best for me because it, it then becomes 
then it gets to be a higher price point. It also feels like it's a little more special. Like it's not a H&M cheapy right. pack of studs or something. And then they come on a cute card or I have a cute card. You know, so I try to think about that too, or, you know, personalization for gifting. There's two parts to my business, you know, thinking about that gifting part of it and thinking about that customer who wants to build her jewelry box. If people listening are like, wow, this whole jewelry thing is really interesting because I think a lot of people think as jewelry as it's definitely not a top of mind thing for most boutique owners that it's like sort of an add on or it's this, but you've done a really nice job not buying cheap crap jewelry. Like you are really out there looking for, like you said, emerging designers who I'm always surprised how really great price you can get for what you're doing. Where if someone wanted to bring in some beautiful accessories, like for their brick and mortar or even for their online store, what markets would they even go to? I don't know those things. Like I'm like, oh, go to Golden Stella and buy a bunch of cheap, cheap jewelry because that was my business. Mm-hmm. If I was to do it all over, I'd probably think a little differently and do some different things. But like, yeah. where, where have you been shopping and, and finding these cool people to work with? So um, Accessory Circuit is my number one place to go. I mean, that's from my corporate days. So I know a lot of the people that are there. And I feel like that's a little bit one step above, you know, or maybe it's a couple steps above because you can find all price ranges there. But it's a little bit more refined, I would say. I don't want to say cooler, but, but, you know, like you're saying, emerging. It's like coterie. Yeah. yeah, emerging designers. You find, That's kind of where you start to uncover. The other place, you know, accessories to show is good too. That's a little bit lower end, but you can you can find good stuff there. And then New York Now, which is the old gift show. Um, I love that. Um, they do a lot more accessories now. Um, and I find that's where you find some people that you would normally not find. I mean, that's how I found the little wallet vendor from London that I carry, uh, Stella Bartlett. I would have never found those guys if I didn't go to New York, New York now. I wouldn't have known who they are. Is that a smaller yeah. show? And is that at Javits? Because I feel like I... That's at Javits. It is at Javits. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. It's at Javits. It's spread out. I think sometimes they have some things like, I mean, it's everything for gifts and home. And like the show is massive. Accessories is like three or four aisles. And then I've been doing a lot on fair, fair.com, oh, the, yeah. um, the showroom, wow, the virtual showroom. So I've been buying some things on there um, because I think that you can find some really special designers there. You know, my thing is, is that I like to see things in person and touch things in person. So that's why I like going to the show. So right now it's been kind of hard not being able to do that. So I've been kind of sticking to what I know and who I know because quality for me is really important and there is a lot of not so great things out there but there's there's great things that are great price points but you just have to I'm a touch and feel type of person yeah well and I think jewelry does you know clothes yeah there's definitely a range you can run into some cheapy stuff but jewelry Mm -hmm. is just because of the mix of materials because of the mix of stones when I was doing Bendel's jewelry for a hot second private label while you were the buyer over in designer someone said that jewelry had like a seven to nine percent breakage rate almost ten percent so one out of every ten pieces is gonna break in some way are you kidding me (laughs) that's insane but when you think about the intricacies that go into making something like a chandelier ring or you know a big chunky necklace it can also kind of make sense 
Yeah. And you know, also people think fashion jewelry, you can't shower with it. You can't ski down the mountain with it. You shouldn't. Well, wait, let's talk about that for a minute too, because I think that you're really well-versed in sort of like materials from (laughs) understanding the world of jewelry. What would you say if someone was going to look for good quality jewelry? Like what materials should they look for in the product description or when they're talking to a vendor? Like what would be something that would set them apart to say, but I sell better than this costumey, cheapy, cheapy jewelry? Sterling. Sterling dipped in gold or or vermeil, which is sterling dipped in gold. Sterling plated, 14 karat gold filled rose gold filled, sterling silver. That's all, um, that's a great selling point because that's hyperallergenic. What I found out and, you know, being in corporate, this, I never really came across it, but being like one-on-one with the customer, a lot of people have metal sensitivities. Yeah, yeah. So I try to, I have a couple of vendors that do that. And that's always a great selling point. If it's 14 karat gold filled, also that, does, that doesn't tarnish. Also, a lot of people have, misinformation about fashion jewelry. Oh my gosh, that's crappy. It's it's going to tarnish. Well, if you take care of it, it won't. So if you, if you have a necklace that you bought, it doesn't matter if you bought it at Nordstrom's or you bought it from a little boutique. If you put it in a little baggie, when you put it in your jewelry box, it's not going to turn. But the other thing that you should look at visually is the plating, the metal plating. Because sometimes the metal platings are really bad. They're very orangey or the rose gold's very pink and like coppery. That to me is the first signal. Like when I see something, whether it's in market or in another store, if it's like an orangey color, I'm like, ooh, no. So I think you have to really first pay attention to like the color of the metal, if it looks pretty, because people have really, I think since even since I've been in the industry, people have really perfected the gold plating. And I remember going through that with one of our bosses a long time ago. (laughs) And I really then started, started, he really taught me that, but started to understand it. And, but I do think it has gotten better over the last 10 years, the quality of metal that's coming out of wherever it's coming out of. So Absolutely. Well, and I think that it also depends on the mills, like how thickly it's plated, Mm -hmm. how thin it's plated, you know, and I, I do, I agree with you. There is a really big education gap with the customer because they have bought crappy pieces, places, and Mm -hmm. they haven't been educated on how to actually take care of their things. And, you know, one of the things I learned from one of our bosses was, you know, putting everything in a dust bag. Like we put all of our handbags Mm -hmm. in these beautiful Mm -hmm. bags, which I still keep all my handbags in their bags, keeping all my jewelry in a, you know, small velvet dust bag. Mm -hmm. I, when I sold even my costumes, golden Stella jewelry at my truck, I would put it in a dust bag and then put it in my shopping bag. And people were Mm -hmm. like, wait, that's for me. And I'm like, yeah, I want you to take care of this. And what am I just going to like throw the necklace in the bag with all your clothes? Like that's right, right, right. a tangle. That's like bad practice, you know? Yeah. And I would say to people, you know, you can keep it in this and keep it in your jewelry box. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. Yeah. These were like, you know, 50 cents off you line. Like I'm glad it's adding to the classiness of my truck. Right. But I do think that speaking to professional standards, education, all that stuff, if you are selling jewelry, know what the heck you're selling and to mm-hmm. understand it. I mean, you can easily look this stuff up online as well. Totally. And 
I'm sure there's YouTube videos about it, but even just what you've given is like probably a lot more than most people even realize. Yeah. I mean, even when I do on my Facebook lives, like, and I'll say, you know, this necklace is $65, but it's Vermeil. So that's sterling dipped in gold. So it's not going to tarnish. The other thing that I feel like a lot of the fashion jewelry designers have really started to hone in on is they want you to wear their jewelry with fine jewelry. So they're going to work on like the plating and the design and the ability for that you can wear a great pendant necklace with your diamond necklace or your diamond little pendant. They want you to mix. It's about, you remember like, you know, high and low. High and low, yeah. So I think that's important. I also play that up also, like that you can wear your fine jewelry. I'm drawing a blank on like somebody to mention, but like a fine jewelry and you can wear like a great like little initial necklace or you can wear you know, a great semi-precious necklace. Wow. Oh gosh. Customer education. So mm-hmm. let's talk about what you feel like has moved the needle in your boutique business in the past. Let's even just say year outside of, you know, you've already talked so much about ideal customer, which is so mm-hmm. great. And just understanding those, like, I would even call them, I don't know who taught me this. Maybe it was at Abercrombie. We learned about buckets, you know, you got to fill your buckets and Mm-hmm. fill your giftables and your your under hundred dollar things and but like what else has been something that you feel like has really moved the needle I think is the best word to use uh showing up and being consistent meaning every week an email goes out to my customers every week on the same day at the same time posting every day Facebook and Instagram and just recently you and I had this conversation that I realized I was paying so much attention to Instagram and that is not where my customer she's on Facebook she is coming to my website through Facebook or direct. So yes, I post on Instagram, but I don't make that my priority anymore. So I make it Facebook. And the biggest thing for me was showing up every week doing Facebook Live. That was the thing that I dragged my feet on in Six Figure Blueprint for the whole 12 weeks. And now every Thursday night, my whole house is quiet and I, and I go live for 25 minutes. So that is the thing. And even the days that I'm like, I don't want to do it. I do it. And then I end up being in such a better mood because the same people show up, my tribe, my accessories tribe, my VIPs show up and not private Facebook VIPs, just my my VIP, my VIP customers that I I call them VIPs because they're always there. People start watching that. And it's funny how many people say to me, oh, I didn't know you had your own business. And I'm like, I don't know why you don't know that. (laughs) Because it's been four years. (laughs) But yes, people don't pay attention. You know, that's one of the things I try to tell boutique owners too, is show that thing eight times. Cause guess what? No one's paying attention until the eighth time. So just keep showing it. And when you, you know, so that's funny that you said that because when we were in corporate and we would, you know, if we had, we were doing like a pop-up window or we were doing an event and we had a new vendor and we would go to marketing and we'd say, Oh my gosh, can you Instagram this? Can you, we wanted to get, get it out there. And they would say, Oh no, we already did that. You can only do it one time. And I was like, Oh, okay. So when I started my business, I'm like, Oh, I can only show something one time. And you know, so I'd be afraid to like, okay, I shared a bracelet on Monday. I uh, like, I posted it on Facebook. Oh, but I shouldn't, I can't post it again. I already did it. It was very much in my mindset. And then I started like kind of talking to you and listening to you. And you're like eight times, eight times. I'm like eight times. And I'm going to tell you something that is so true. 
That is so true. Because, and so, and like, that's the whole thing. You know, I try to every week on my Facebook lives, I try to mix it up for me. Uh, I try to mix it up so it doesn't feel like it's the same thing all the time. But sometimes I show something again, like that maybe I showed a couple of weeks ago and, and the, the people, the same people are like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> or, oh my God, I have to have that. And you're kind of like, that is so true. That ain't It's so wild to me because even when we're doing live launches for courses, I'm running multiple Facebook ads. We're posting multiple times a day on Instagram, on Facebook, in the group, in the page. And without a doubt, the day to five days after we close, someone's like, is that course still open? Wait, I, did I miss the sign up for that? And I'm like, come on, really? Come on. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I notice that the more engagement we get, even running the Facebook ads, even doing all this stuff, you do have to show, like, I mean, I'm sick of talking about it after eight days of our promotion. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, our numbers for enrollment keep going up or stay steady. So I'm like, well, we're we're doing it right. You know, I just, I think people are paying less attention than you actually think that they are. You know, they don't track your every move. They 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 don't see the prices. They won't know if you show Mm. something five times. Like they they really aren't paying that much attention as much as, as much as you might have that one person who pays a lot of attention and he's a little bit weird and obsessed. Mm. The other 99 people aren't paying attention. Right. I mean, you know, like seasonal things like gloves. I had them from the year prior and I brought them out the next year and they were new. They were new. So don't worry about that because you're right. People are being so information overload anyway right now on all forms of social media. So they're not paying as close attention as you think they are. Um, and it's just, it's when they're ready to receive it and they're ready to buy that necklace or buy that earring, they're going to buy it. So if you were to start your boutique over again, knowing what you know now, is there anything you would do differently? I think I would have, well, I didn't start off with a website first. Right, which is so crazy. Yeah, and right now, like, my husband and I talk about this all the time, like, how was that even, like, you weren't going to set up, like, you weren't going to have a website? <laughs> right, just like, I, I started my business, I was like, I'm never going to run a sale. That was my thing. I was like, mm-hmm. I'll never run a sale. I'll do like promos where I do like, you know, two dresses for a price or something, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'll never have a sale sign up two years, like a year in. I was like, yeah, maybe I should like run a sale this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ran a sale until a year in, honestly, because I was just, I was like, no, I'll just sell everything at full price or do a little markdown here when I have leftover units. But like, I mean, gosh, at Bendel's, we never ran sales. I, most of the companies I work for, we rarely ran sales. And if we did, right. it was a big deal. It was a really right, big deal. Right. Some kind of semi-annual right. thing or, you know, it was not just like a, on a whim, let's run 20% off this weekend. Because you had so many moving parts to be able to do yep. that. You just yep. couldn't move fast. So. Right. so I definitely would start right off the bat with a website. It's so unfathomable to me that I was never going to do that. And now that's like, I live and breathe the website right now. And that's actually the place where I'd rather hang out. And I remember even when I was building my first website, I was like, oh my gosh, as soon as I could pay someone to do this, I'm going to have them do it. And now I absolutely love doing it. I really love hearing that because I think when you're a smart person, 
it's not about, it's not about being like, oh, I can't do that. Or I'm not good enough to do that. It's just, it's a learning curve. It's like, you've, you've come from a place, like you said, where everyone kind of did those things for you. I mean, mm-hmm. man, someone else ran that bundles website. I feel like it took even bundles a few years to like have a proper website with things that were for sale on it. <laughs> so right, right, you, know, right. you were raised, you were like grew up in that retail environment where it was just about the stores and it was just mm-hmm. about, you know, pop-ups and things like that. But it is interesting because I, I think that if you're smart enough to open a boutique and you can figure that stuff out, honestly, there's not much you can't learn. And I think that's where you got to the point where you're like, okay, I just have to learn this. It's not that Mm -hmm. I can't do it. I have to learn it. And I think that's a huge win for most boutique owners. Once they learn, oh, I just have to learn all this stuff. Fine. All right. Let me just watch the videos. Let me study the books. Yeah. It's It's just like going back to college. Right. And it's not, it's not even like that. I mean, it's just like, you just read a few things and you just plug and play. And I mean, they make it so easy now. The other thing is I would have started my Facebook lives way earlier than and being consistent with it. Yeah. Because I'm seeing it move my needle. I'm seeing it drive the traffic, the videos that, you know, and even I want to do more videos, but did you ever think I was going to say that? Probably not. Never. (laughs) No, never. But I, but I know now, I know how important that is. It really does make a difference in your business. Yeah. Well, and you've gotten the reinforcement from sales. Listen, I think any of us that are in, I mean, we're all in sales essentially. Right. And when Mm -hmm. you're in sales, when you do something and it results in the cha-chings, you're like, Oh, okay. I'll do more of that. I like that sound. You know, I like that money in the bank. So I, I think that's the other thing is it's just, it's retraining your brain instead of saying, oh, video is hard or video is bad. It's like video is going to make me money and getting yeah. into that mindset of video is going to make me money. Video is going to grow my business and putting it into that perspective. That's just a really, it's a mindset shift, truly. It's all a mindset shift. <laughs> it, it all is a mindset shift. No matter how you slice and dice it, like when you look back or if I look back at some of the things that I struggled with or was like hard no and then I look back at it I'm like okay that was the my, my mindset of getting the best of me I mean I'm going to tell you I spent probably the first two years two and a half years of my business worried about what other people were going to think of me starting my own business that's tough that could be a whole nother episode but but, right. but what I'm saying once I understood that this is my livelihood this is my business this is my dream I don't care what people think and you know who helped me realize that it was Tracy Tracy at your retreat yeah when it she said it's none of your business what other people think of you I felt like I was like oh and I never looked back I love that I think a lot of where that comes from probably is just you did have a big corporate important job and then you're home with your kids and it's a reinvention process of who you are and and you also live in like a pretty you know, I don't want to say like judgy area of the country, but like, you know, you live in like kind of a little bit of like a snobby, like enclave, you know, of people who it does matter what you do and what Mm -hmm. car you drive and, you Mm -hmm. know, what clothes you wear. So I do think there is some of that in in that as well. So yeah, there's definitely like a reason for it other than it just being in your head, you know, but I'm glad that I got past it because I think I was hung up on it. And once I started not caring, really, 
I mean, I care, but you know, just moving forward because you know what? Anybody else would be moving forward. Yeah. One of the things I always tried to say to you was like, you know, when I started at Bendel's, like I was not scared of you, but I was definitely like, she's important. <laughs> I just knew, you know, I come from Ohio. I was working at Abercrombie where we were all wearing like denim skirts and riding motor, like scooters around campus. Cause oh yeah, a corporate office was called a campus because it was like, they're trying to pretend right. college. Right. And then I'm in this Fifth Avenue building where literally everyone's going out to smoke and drink coffee, wearing high heels, all the makeup. I mean, like it was such a contrast for me going to bundles. I was like, shell-shocked probably the first six months first of all I was also like people smoke I was with right, all these like, right. athletes at Abercrombie right. they cared about how they looked more than anything yeah. you know I remember being in walkthroughs with you and like our CEO just like hammering you and for, in the best ways because you had such a big business yeah. you were tough and you'd figure yeah. it out and you were really good I mean you're an amazing buyer and that's like what thank you're you. so good at so thank you your jewelry guru isms is like, it's not over and it's just going to get bigger. It's just like coming out in this new form now. So for sure. And it's, it's like I said, at the beginning, this was always my dream. I wanted to be home with my kids. I wanted to have my own business. And I know that, that this is just the beginning of it. It's even four years in, you have to be patient. Um, that is a huge thing that I'm constantly working on because, because sometimes I'm not patient. That's yeah my in my dna but it's a marathon it's not a sprint and i have to put my head down and do what's right for Aaron Sherlock and for my family and i'll get there i'll get there when i get there slow and steady wins the race like i have big dreams and i have to tell you every year they change a little bit they change about where i, I see this business going but that's exciting but it's right. nice to be in a place in your business where it's you've moved from I'm struggling. I'm trying to figure out the rhythm. After three, four, or five years, you're in a rhythm. Whether you're mm -hmm. where you want to be or not, you at right. least hopefully have a rhythm of the business. And that is something where you can add a beat and you feel steady enough and safe enough where you can start to dream bigger and, and all that jazz. Yeah. It was like supersizing. Remember we talked about that a few months yeah. ago? Yeah. We went supersizing. So, you know, I mean, this year, it threw me like it threw me it's I didn't think obviously nobody did but when we started unlock like quarantine I was like I got scared I got scared but then I was like okay okay just started doing the things I did the rebranding I did the new website I started digging deeper into my business and now I'm on the website and now like things were for holiday I would be doing sip and chats in people's homes now I'm doing them via a private Facebook group or you know doing it virtually and it has forced me to think outside the box which I love doing I mean that's the most favorite thing about being a boutique owner is that, is that you have to think outside the box and I think that that's why I spent so many years at Bendel's because it was smaller than like a Bloomingdale's that you could think outside the box Absolutely. so and there was a lot less red tape but so that's my most favorite thing about being a boutique owner. Yes, there are professional standards, but you have the ability to do whatever you want. Do Try it. Try it. You have nothing to lose. Try it. If it doesn't yep. work, you don't do it again. Maximize what works. Minimize what doesn't. Right. And I've been doing that all year. And I have to tell you, 
it's been great. It gives you a little bit of freedom. This has been a great interview. I'm going to oh, cut so it off because we could talk for three more hours, totally. four more hours. Totally. We both have work to do and you have kids to get back to. So thank you so but much so for joining fun. us. I know it's so fun. Um, <laughs> why don't you just like give a little shout out where people can like follow you? Obviously, if they're in one of my courses, you know, they're going to be with you the whole time and get to be able to tap into your incredible vast knowledge of retail and and all Thank that you. but like if people want to come and check out like your jewelry and see what you're selling just so they get that touch base too of what we mean by like not cheapy costume jewelry mm-hmm. um you can check arian's jewel box out at www.arianjewelbox.com or you can find me on facebook at arian's jewel box and instagram uh arian's jewel box Awesome. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. That was so fun. Did you love this episode as much as I did? Head over to iTunes and rate and review the Boost Your Boutique podcast so more amazing and creative boutique owners like you can find out about it. And don't forget, head over to boostyourboutique.com to learn more.